0: And now, the Low Post.
1: Welcome to a Low Post podcast from Los Angeles, California that was not supposed to be about the Golden State Warriors and now sadly will be after yet another Draymond Green coming to terms with maybe his basketball mortality, the Warriors' mortality as a dynasty, if you want to call them a dynasty. Yet another incident that will lead to yet another suspension after Draymond Green... I guess in reaction to Yusuf Nurkic playing what looked like normal NBA defense to me, had his hand on Draymond's waist during the inbounds play. That's kind of standard stuff. Draymond maybe lost his balance and in the process did something that I don't think would normally happen to someone losing their balance, which is twirl around, right arm cocked and out, and cold cocking Yusuf Nurkic in the face. Hand opened up at the end, but still um, a violent play. That is just the latest violent play from Draymond Green, who just appears to be unraveling. He is going to be suspended almost for sure. I mean, I can't imagine that he won't be. it's it, it could be a long one. And look, here's the reality. Depending on how long the suspension is, when he comes back from it, at minimum, he will have been ejected or suspended from just about half of the Warriors games to date, to that point, whatever that date is, again, if and when he comes back, I mean, at that point, John Morant will be back and like Draymond, I'm not even being flip about it, will have kind of barely contributed more to his team, which is a complete mess at 10 and 13 than a dude who's been suspended the first 25 games of the season. Like that's, that's almost not hyperbole. Um, And as I was watching that unfold last night at Staples Center, which I will never call crypto.com, whatever, where all the buzz after the game was just how many games is Draymond going to get? How many games? How many games? 10, 15, 25? Are the Warriors even going to send him home? I, who knows? We're all going to find those things out. I actually thought back to a piece I wrote about Draymond um, in the aftermath of the punch last season when, of course, he punched Jordan Poole, and I'm beginning to think that punch is still lingering that it might have like destroyed Jordan Poole who has just been really bad on both ends of the floor for Washington he's like, he's like his scoring is down somehow and it it might have just destroyed Draymond Green. I know they had an okay season last year they made the conference semifinals as a nice kind of rebound for them. He's talked about how he's had to earn the team's trust back, you know, it, can he be the same kind of vocal leader um getting on people, getting in people's faces, urging them on in the aftermath of such a public, well, what became a public after the video somehow got out. We never quite figured that one out, did we, how that got out? Um, After such a public violent incident, um, maybe it just ruined both of them and the team forever. Maybe it's still going on. But I, I wrote this piece at that time, and the piece was sort of just trying to put Draymond's career in perspective. And trying to, to you know, because when you talk about Draymond, I've, I've long been a huge Draymond fan as a basketball player. That's no secret. When you talk about Draymond with other people, it, the, the dialogue inevitably comes back to like, what would he be without Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, the two greatest shooters of all time who fit his style and how he wants to play so perfectly? Remember, this is a guy that was drafted 35th in 2012. By a team who had the 30th pick and took Festus Ezeli at 30 because, and I've, I've interviewed all their front office about this, Kirk Lacob, who is now, I think their assistant GM, you know, said to me something like, Draymond is short, you know, not that athletic, like we were confident he would slip to 35. Um, what would he be outside of this perfect ecosystem? And that was the gist of the piece. And ESPN Social, as they are wont to do, just tweeted out this, this graphic with a tweet that's like, Zach Lowe um, wonders about Draymond Green's career. And in it, it had a, a piece from, a, a line for the piece about how, you know, kind of just saying, like, what would Draymond be outside of Golden State? Is he the product of these other superstars in this system? Now, the piece goes on to say Draymond Green is a Hall of Famer and would have been, a very good player, if not quite as good and historically great as he was with the Warriors in any context. And we'll get into all of that. But that was not made clear on Twitter. What was clear on Twitter was like, oh, Zach Lowe's questioning Draymond's qualifications for the Hall of Fame. And at least one NBA player clapped back at me with a tweet that said, just a dumb clown will say something like this with the clown emoji. Draymond Green using his money 23 green is a Hall of Famer. Stop disrespecting that. And Now, this this player clearly didn't read the story where I said Draymond Green is a Hall of Famer and would have been very good in any context. And I thought about that last night because that player was Yusuf Nurkic, who got clocked in the face by Draymond Green. And after the game, you know, kind of like, wished Draymond well, like, whatever you're dealing with off the floor, I hope you get over it. And then kind of joked like, "I'm, I'm I'm glad he didn't choke me. And it just like... If you look at the faces of the Warriors' coaches, this happened right in front of their bench. What struck me about their reaction to the play, about Draymond's reaction to getting ejected, about Yusuf Nurkic needling him after the game, about Steve Kerr's very clipped comments about it after the game, about Rudy Gobert's comments after Draymond Green choked him and got suspended five games earlier in the season, the total resignation of everybody involved there's no rage. There's no defending Draymond Green. They're just stone-faced, like, here, here we go again. Like, they, they knew exactly what happened. Draymond gets ejected. There's no riling up the crowd. Let's go. Yeah, that's right. No, just, like, jogs calmly to the locker room, apologizes afterwards, says it was an accident, clearly trying to sort of mitigate whatever suspension comes. And, like, you, the team just, even the Warriors, just don't have it in them anymore to come to a defense of Draymond Green, which is just sad. Like, they just don't have it. Paul, Steve Kerr, just after the game's like, yeah, we need him. We need him. Next question, you want to ask me how I'm closing with Brandon Bajemski over Clay Thompson? Like, can we talk about that instead? Because I can't talk about this anymore. And, you know, you saw Nurk kind of say, I'm glad he didn't choke me. Gobert just lit him on fire and said, you know, oh, he didn't want to play without his guy Steph and kind of just roasted Draymond Green. And it it's like the Warriors are just like, totally resigned to to just this is their reality now and they don't know what to do about it other players are just kind of taunting him and no one is like no one is doing the Nurkic thing coming to his defense saying hall of famer a great player they're just kind of clowning him the way that Draymond once clowned Paul Pierce at the end of his career when he was like man the fans don't love you like that you're not Kobe you want that farewell tour you're not getting it it's kind of come full circle for Draymond, and this is not to write his career obituary, he's still a really good player when he plays Um, but you can just, the the resignation there's no furor, there's no rage there's no defense of him, there's no it's just sort of, eh, just total resignation and in the past, the Warriors have always defended him, and there's been a million incidents, they've always defended him for a couple of reasons, three reasons, number one it's worth it, the Draymond Green experience is worth it He's that good. He's that central to their team. He's that central to their identity and the way they play. We will get to that. Number two, Steph loves him. He's Steph, Steph's guy. And Steph is the franchise. None of these dudes are being traded. Probably. I would imagine without Steph Curry ever saying like, if, if Steph wants him on the team, they're going to be on the team. And that's his guy. That's been his guy for 10 years now. And If you're Steph's guy, one of Steph's guys, and everybody is Steph's guy, really, you're you're kind of untouchable. And the other thing is, it always worked out somehow for Draymond. Like, he gets suspended from the NBA Finals. The NBA Finals. When you're a 73-win team trying to cement history, you get suspended as an all-star and all-NBA player from the most important game in the most important series. Whatever. I mean, he played great in Game 7 and all that. And everyone focuses on, you know, that he punches up Le- LeBron. It's everything that happened before that, tossing Michael Beasley around, all the flagrants, all the stuff, and he got suspended from a finals game. And it worked out because they lose the finals, and that kind of green lights Durant to to come to Golden State because I don't think he ever would have gone there if Golden State wins the title. And so, oh, it worked out. Worked out. Then, of course, Durant leaves, and the highest profile incident leading to Durant leaving is Draymond calling him all sorts of names on the bench in a November 2018 game against the Clippers. Now, I, I will always think, we'll see what Durant says about this when his career is over. I think he was going to leave anyway. I, I think he knew, even before that blow-up with Draymond, like, this is never going to be my team. My legacy, my my reputation is never going to be complete if I just ride it out with these guys, I'm going to need to do something else. And that something else was then Brooklyn, which was a disaster. And now it's Phoenix, which TBD. I think he was going to leave anyway. That's just my gut. But it certainly did not help that Draymond Green embarrassed him and yelled at him on national TV. Durant leaves. Warriors win another championship in 2022 with Draymond podcasting through the whole goddamn thing. Some of the words were not psyched about the podcast, by the way, after the games and all that, but they win the title. It works out. It works out. I don't think it's working out anymore. I think that 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 that, that streak is, is over. This team is um, just a complete mess. It might be unsalvageable. We don't know when Draymond is going to play again. Wiggins has been a disaster. He was benched last night. Clay has been bad. He was benched last night. Steve Kerr has absolutely no idea who to play other than the one guy who's the tent pole of the whole franchise and that's Steph. And I hate to say this because I do think he's going to be a Hall of Famer and I think he's going to deserve it. But we've now reached the point where this is the first or second line in Draymond Green's career retrospective. Like, there's just been too many incidents. It's too much. He's hurt his team too much with all these outbursts, and it's now an eye of the beholder thing. Like, if you're a Warriors fan, you might remember the first thing that comes to mind might be his defense, his switchability, the way he revolutionized the team, whatever. But, like, this is all mixed in now in that first paragraph. It's like Draymond Green, you know, is he Dennis Rodman 2.0? I I, I don't know anymore, but he's he's unraveling on a public stage and he's hurting his team, he's hurting his reputation, he's hurting his legacy, and the shame of it is, he's such a unique and special player. Like, I go back to that piece that Nurkic hated, without reading, presumably, um, and I asked that question, like, what is he without Steph Curry and Klay Thompson? Because the Draymond skeptics, way, Hall of Famer, you hear this, like, I had a I had a former head coach text me five days before, f- before yesterday, way before the second Draymond violent incident of the season. How can you call Draymond Green a Hall of Famer? He's he what is he he's not a Hall of Famer without Steph Curry. Like these this is a thing people say. And what I wrote in that piece was, yeah, he's not the same guy without Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. You know, like if you're if you're gonna talk about the Warriors and why the Warriors won four titles and why the Warriors play the style that they do with all the off ball movement and the shooting and the screens that nobody can track and it's impossible to deal with, it's Steph Curry and then a giant chasm to whatever you think the second most important contributor to that is. It's Steph. And everyone else has amplified Steph and fit into that style. That's just reality. Like I don't think Draymond would have been as good in Detroit or Charlotte or wherever because he is an amplifier of Steph Curry. But you know what? Steph Curry is a top 10 to 12 all-time player. You can still be a goddamn Hall of Famer while being an amplifier of to that level of a player. What I mean by amplifier is just think about this. Like, think about the way the Warriors play. Steph wants to move around without the ball. He wants to run pick and roll too, but he, he, he likes to move around without the ball. It's random. It's unpredictable. Where is he? What, blah, 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 blah. Um, Draymond f- meshes with that perfectly as a point forward, point center, whip smart passer, screener, handoff guy. That's amplifying him. And, and he does it at a genius, genius level. I always go back to Game 6, Houston-Golden State Conference Semifinals 2019. Durant's hurt. He's out. Houston senses we have an opportunity to take this series, and of course they don't. And over and over and over down the stretch of that game, which really kind of became the beginning of the end of the Harden era in Houston, it's just Steph Draymond right wing pick and roll over and over again. And the the Rockets don't know what to do with it because – Every single time down, they improvise a different style of handoff, a different style of pitchback, a different style of flipping the screen. Draymond rolls down the rim, finds Looney on a lob. Like he's the best ever at the four on three and the pick and roll. He's the best ever at just sort of the random orchestration of the Steph Clay off ball movement. That's amp- amplifying a star player. And the the there is an alternative history where the Warriors just build a conventional team, right? Like they don't have Draymond Green. Harrison Barnes is their Harrison Barnes is their power forward. They get like a rim runner, like a Capella type, and they just spam Steph Curry's spread pick and rolls. That team would have a top three offense every year because Steph Curry is that good. Maybe they win just as many championships. I have no idea. But they would play more like everybody else. Is there some effect to that? Is there how how much do they get out of being unusual because of the way? Steph plays because of the way Draymond amplifies how Steph plays. He's one of the greatest passing big men of all time. Um, I've had people on the Warriors tell me, yeah, we could have played that way, but we would have been much more conventional. The wear and tear on Steph. Now, he runs around a lot. He's coming off screens. He's setting screens. He's He has wear and tear wherever. But the Warriors coaches will tell you, man, there's just a different level of wear and tear when you got the ball every single time and you're running 70 pick and rolls. The whole defense is looking at you, you know, and – Who knows how everything goes in that kind of alternate history. And, of course, the other thing is this sort of alternate reality warriors, Clint Capella, rim runner, you know, standard center, whatever, like defensively they look nothing like they've looked with Draymond. Draymond is the greatest defensive player of like the post-KG NBA, the most flexible, versatile defensive player in that span. The only guy maybe in the whole league for like 15 straight years who could guard Jokic and guard Harden as a primary assignment. He's the reason they were able to play the death lineup. He's the primary reason they were able to play the death lineup with where he becomes the small ball center. You don't have that kind of stylistic flexibility without Draymond Green, which is all my way of just saying like, yeah, he wouldn't be the same guy. Outside this context, this context is perfect for me. You kidding? A point center surrounded by two all-time great shooters who just want to move around in unpredictable patterns—that's nirvana for Draymond. But he made it nirvana too. He contributed to it. I think for a lot of their run, he was the second-best player on the team, non-Durant versions. Um, and and you, it's okay to say Draymond Green is a is a great player who was made greater by being with the Warriors. Let's go back to this season. This is a disaster. And look, I saw Perk tweet last night, free Steph Curry. You know, there's going to be all sorts of like, trade this guy, trade that guy. Here's the reality. Draymond has four years left on his contract. And all these questions I'm asking right now, what is he outside the Warriors ecosystem? What is he What is he on team X, team Y, small market team, rebuilding team, team that doesn't have a lot of shooting, team that has a, a space-clogging rim-running center? What is he in those places? Every other team is asking that same question. You want to trade him? Good luck. Andrew Wiggins has four years left on his contract, about 28 to 30 a pop. It's a good contract for the Andrew Wiggins who helped him win a title two years ago. I don't know where that dude went. He's got nine turnovers in his last two games. He's averaging almost three per 36 minutes. He has the defensive rebounding rate of like Muggsy Bogues this season. I don't know where that dude is. I don't know if he's out of shape. I don't know if he's just not into it. He went through some horrible personal problems last year. That's well documented. I just don't know where that guy is. And, you know, all the same questions. How would this guy look outside of the Steph Clay Nirvana They asked, other teams asked the same questions about Wiggins. So, four years left, okay. Clay Thompson, we've gone down this road before, ever since Perk said on TV, they got to trade Clay, Clay's done, they got to trade Clay. Okay, $43 million expiring contract. Leave aside that he's a franchise legend who's going to have his statue, who made all the threes in game six in Oklahoma City, game six Clay, blah, 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 beloved player. Leave aside the emotional elements, the attachment to Steph, all of that. $43 Forty-three million dollar expiring contract for a player who is not playing well right now, just point blank isn't playing well. Has had two catastrophic injuries. What are you, what are you getting for that guy? Um, what do you, what are you getting for him? And, you know, Perk would shoot back at me. Well, what about like Tobias Harris in a draft? I'm like Tobias Harris is good. You're telling me Clay is washed. That's your terminology. Wash, wash, wash. You're getting, you know, then R- what about R.J. Barrett and something from the next? Re- what? You want to attach something to Clay Thompson? That's a different discussion. So good luck with that one. To me, the most realistic trade remains Chris Paul's thirty million dollar expiring contract plus draft assets and/or a good young player like a Moody or a Kaminga for an immediate helpful contributor. Who is that player? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it would ever be Zach Levine. I think he's just like not a Warriors guy. I think it will depend on you know. I th- I think. I think look, I know the Warriors and the Raptors had talks last year about OG Ananobi. Do the Warriors have enough to win what would be a pretty frothy bidding for the services of OG Ananobi? I don't know, but that's that's a name to look at and you can connect other dots to other places. Um none of this is to write their obituary for this season or Draymond Green's career obituary. Both of those things are ongoing. But there's just no sugarcoating this. This this Draymond situation is is a disaster, and it's just sad. Like it's just sad. Even at the game last night as as Clippers people and Kings people are like, "Oh my god, did you see this? What is he going to get?" It wasn't like this titillating reaction. It was just like, "Man, is this is this what it's coming to for Draymond Green? Is this like is this is this the is this like how it's gonna end for him? Is this his basket is this him coming to grips with his basketball mortality? Like, any basketball junkie, love him or hate him as a personality, loves what Draymond Green brings to the table. As a dude who was gonna play in Steve Kerr's first season as coach, they penciled in the rotation. Steve and Bob Byers have told me this. And they penciled in Draymond Green in his third season, not rookie Draymond Green, in his third season, for twelve minutes a game as David Lee's backup. Then David Lee gets hurt and the rest is history. It should be just an all-time great feel-good story of an all-time unusual player in the absolute perfect spot who amplifies that absolute perfect spot. And now it's just sad. And I don't know where this team goes from here. I just mentioned all the trade, you know, limitations, possibilities, whatever you want. Like they're just a complete mess and when you're when one of your guys that is like a soul of your team and that's what they've always called drama: our heart, our soul, our grit, our fire, whatever you want to say. When he just is kind of lost and is hurting your team, and that just that just really punctures your soul, like that just hurts your soul, because you want to love that guy, but you can't love him, and at this point, right now, like you just can't. The, the feeling is different, and like that's just a hole in your gut. And this team faces quite an uphill battle. Trying to salvage this season with a guy in Steph who can still be the best player on a championship team. And Draymond Green is just out of chances. Like, this is this is now his legacy, intertwined, intermixed with everything else. And you can say like he's still got a chance to rebuild his career. He does. And like he could come back from whatever suspension he's going to get and play really well and and never get suspended again and never do anything violent again. Um and it won't matter. This is still now top of the line legacy and reputation stuff for him. And it's just sad. It's just it's just sad. It's a sad situation. And uh, I don't really have much to add other than I hope everyone figures it out and this team can put together some stretch of coherent, competent basketball and at least make a fight of it. They're, they're 11th. Like, let's see him make a fight out. Like, we all want to see Steph Curry in big games with a shot. All right, let's bring in Kevin Pelton to talk more about this and everything else. All right, Kevin Pelton, as Brian Windhorst calls you, the machine, live from Seattle, Washington. How are you, sir?
0: Doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: What was your reaction to the Draymond Nurkic thing, and um, is there any hope for sal- salvaging this Warriors season? And if so, where does it lie?
0: But I think it lies on the bench. I mean, that that's what we saw last night, that Steve Kerr basically decided, hey, this these starters are not performing well i have to try guys who are playing well and that's the bench and it's fascinating because you know i think everyone has noticed that the net rating for the five man starting lineup is a group is dramatically worse than last season when it was the best lineup in the nba but it's not just that group it's when they have four starters on the court when they have three starters on the court when they have two starters on the court the warriors are getting outscored and then, when you go down to a situation where they only have one starter on the court or none of them, which is basically the lineups that they play, you know, end of first quarter, start of second, same third and fourth, those lineups are crushing. They're plus 15.1 per 100 possessions in 400 minutes with one starter on the court, and plus 7.6 in 170 minutes with no starters on the court. So, It's funny because that was probably our biggest question about the Warriors coming into the season is how is this Chris Paul thing going to work? Have they done enough to upgrade their bench after that, held them back last season? And suddenly it's the reserves who are looking around saying, hey, when are the starters going to bail us out for a change?
1: Warriors are 16th in offense, 16th in defense, a total scoring margin of plus six with a 10 and 13 record. We all know they foul everybody. And throw the ball everywhere. And I'm beginning to think those things are manifestations of the same thing, which is a certain desperation and inability to get it done anymore. I know they've always done these things, but it just feels like the reaching on defense, the throwing these Hail Mary passes that have no shot, thread the needle passes, it's like it's pressing. It's a team that's pressing because the conventional stuff isn't as easy for them anymore and isn't working anymore i don't i mean like look there's just the Draymond thing is just there's just too much in the air for me to even think about like how the hell do they pivot from this like, i don't know how long he's gonna be away f- suspended or whatever the bench has been good like i like pajemski kaminga i've always liked kaminga every time kaminga scores it somehow feels like an accident even as someone who's been like pro kaminga it's like how did that work he, got, he how did that work out it worked out okay um I don't know trades. Like, is, is, is you got anything on like what? What are you looking for the trade deadline for? I don't know what. What can they even do?
0: I mean, I guess it's still the you know more the threes and fours that allow them to unlock these smaller lineups. I mean, I think of the 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 thought that popped in my head last night was like, should they look to trade Looney? But I I don't know that that would solve anything for them, especially if you don't know when Draymond is going to be on the court because of the fact that he's constantly getting suspended and, you know, has already accumulated enough flagrant foul points that any, every flagrant foul too, regardless of whether it merits an additional league suspension or not, is going to result in missing at least one game. So yeah, it's not great. Yeah, he's,
1: he's getting the free sandwich at subway. He's the stand, The 10th stamp is coming on the sandwich card at the, at subway. Um, I don't. I got. I'm, I'm out of Warriors things. Uh, let's quickly hit the Jokic ejection last night, and just use that as an excuse to talk about Denver. Just a ridiculous ejection. Just absolutely ridiculous on Serbian night in Chicago, which has a gigantic population of Serbians. And according to Jamal Collier, who talked to courtside fans, according to Michael Malone, who spoke after, Jokic called the ref, a <laughs> like he said, call a foul. It's not appropriate people called me that, I'd be like, well, that's unpleasant. You're screaming that at me at my job? Like, that's unpleasant. You know what that merits, Kevin? One technical foul. One. Warning. Don't call me an a***** <inaudible> again. I might have to, to you. I don't want to. But just stop calling me that. One technical. If you're going to throw a, a superstar out, a superstar that people are there to see on Serbian Heritage Night for verbal stuff... It better be per- more personal than that. And if it's more personal and pointed and, like, like ina- inappropriate in any way, that's a different story. Generic cursing? Can we just take it easy with this? There's no I, – I, anyway. Nuggets. Click on the nuggets. Ninth in offense. Thirteenth in defense. Fourth in net – or seventh in net rating. Seventh. Slightly underwhelming. I'm, like, totally unconcerned. They're plus 80 in 247 minutes when Murray and Jokic are on the floor together. Uh, I still think this is the best starting five in basketball. And I'm starting to see a little, a little signs from the bench. You know who I like, KP? Is Julian Stra- Julian Strother. Yeah. I'll tell you what I like about Julian Strother. This is a spoiler from my 10 Things column. He can shoot the hell out of it. We know that. Everyone who can shoot around Jokic is going to be great. That dude is making plays on defense, like verticality at the rim, closeouts, strips. Like, if he's a defensive playmaker, that's a. You, you, Christian Brown, rock solid. If Strother is rock solid and Reggie Jackson is rock solid, I got to. I'm at eight already. I'm good whether Peyton Watson ever hits a three again. Um, is this still your clear favorite to come out of the West? And what's interesting to you about Denver?
0: I think they're still my clear favorite to come out of the West. I mean, the. Eight you listed, the the one concern is it's awfully small. You you probably need someone bigger than that to pop, whether it's you know Peyton Watson, who is a terrific defender and the, the shooting is always going to be a question mark, whether it's Zeke Nagy, which unfortunately seems for another year not to be happening, or whether it's somebody that they can go out and add midseason. Uh, I, I don't know if you can get away with being that small, even if you know they do play Aaron Gordon as a backup center come playoff time. But Strawler's defensive playmaking is not a big surprise to me. I mean, that's, that's I thought, what really probably was quite attractive to the Nuggets about him is his rear contestability is something that really stood out watching him at Gonzaga and the way that they're forced to play screens defensively if you're going to have Jokic. And right now, DeAndre Jordan uh, is another drop center getting minutes for them. You know, you really need guards who are able to get over those screens and affect shots, even if they're trailing the play. And that's one of the things that Straw there with his length really excels at.
1: Yeah, you mentioned all the iterations they can bring off the I agree with you. A, a little more size would be handy. And I-, I have faith in Watson to like earn enough minutes that they don't have to go too small. Um, you know, the Reggie Jackson Jamal Murray pairing is-, is smaller than the Bruce Brown Jamal Murray pairing, uh, or plays smaller anyway. But between Gordon at center, you know, Jokic and the bench mob is a thing they've tried. Michael Porter Jr. is like the stagger guy with the bench mob. I, I just, I'm not too worried about their sort of big picture, big picture metrics. I hated that ejection. Is there any room for disagreement on this ejection? That stinks.
0: I mean, as you said, if he said something that crossed the line in terms of, you know, appropriateness, then it's potentially explainable. But I was watching the Bulls broadcast and the Bulls broadcast was they out, outraged. They were
1: outraged. They were outraged. That's Stacey King. Stacey King was Stacey King's like, Michael Jordan said worse stuff than that. Well, he didn't say this, but I could hear Stacey King like in his head being like, MJ used to say worse stuff than that to to, to me. He called me Burger King all the time.
0: I, I reread the Jordan rules over the summer. It's always a, a fun reread to see how unhappy everyone was in the moment. And now when they talk about it, you know, greatest time of our lives. What an amazing thing. Uh, it it's a reminder that everything looks a lot better in hindsight. All
1: right. Are you ready to move on to the real meat and potatoes of this podcast, Kevin? Let's do it. I said to you, we're going to have a draft. And you said a draft. Oh, interesting. You said we're <laughs> going to draft one, two, three, four, five, six, ten crap teams. Six in the east, four in the west. I use crap gently. It's like ten teams who are just not currently in strong position, although a couple of them are in play-in position in the East because the East is not so great. Um, and we're going to – teams that we don't talk about too much because they're not good. And we're going to find one nice thing to say about each of these teams. How are we ordering the draft? Totally wide-open criteria. You just pick whatever team you want to talk about, and then I can't talk about that team or you can't talk – what, 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 you get to make your point. So the teams are – Atlanta, nine and thirteen. Toronto, nine and fourteen. The Bulls, nine and sixteen. Four and one without Zach Levine lately. Charlotte, seven and fourteen. The Wizards, three and nineteen. The Pistons, two and twenty-one, with with thirty straight losses, like not out of the question when you look at their schedule. Utah, seven and sixteen, Memphis, six and sixteen, getting job back soon. Portland, six and sixteen, Spurs, three and nineteen. Um, Kevin Pelton, you get the first pick of the say something. We need to brand this draft, like the say something. The affirmations draft, this the a- affirmations, something like that. You get the first
0: pick. If you can't say na- something nice, don't say anything at all. Something along those lines. Uh, I'm staying at home in the Pacific Northwest and taking – the Portland Trailblazers, who, as you mentioned, are 6-16, six and 16, but I think that kind of obscures like they had a stretch there where they won a few games on the road, beat teams that they probably shouldn't have, including Indiana in the midst of this amazing in-season tournament run. And what that really highlighted is the Portland Trailblazers are a competent, competent team as long as Malcolm Brogdon is healthy. They are 6-9 and nine with a minus 2.7 point differential with when Brogdon plays, which is... Kind of about as good as they were last year, frankly. They are 0-7 with a minus 15.6 point differential in the games that he does not play, which it's not all him that overlapped the the largest stretch of games with when Anfernee Simons was also out of the lineup. Then Scoot Henderson went down and left Skylar Mays as the only remotely NBA-caliber point guard that they had on the roster. And and those games were pretty ugly. The, you know, it was a series of four consecutive, 10 double-digit losses highlighted by a 42-point loss at Oklahoma City that uh, really drove down those numbers. But you know Malcolm Brogdon, I think, has been exactly what the Blazers hoped he would be in terms of this veteran presence who would help out their young guards and, and be a steadying force. He hasn't shot it well, but... His assist to turnover ratio is a career high at 3.4. And this all sets up a very interesting decision for Portland about how to handle Brogdon going into the trade deadline.
1: Can I just say they should trade him? You can, yes. They should trade him. Um, So the Blazers were here in LA on um, Monday night. I went to their game against the Clippers, which they almost won Scoot's best game of the season. And I was talking to a lot of their coaches before the game. They love these young players now they're not winning games but they love the spirit of the team and how hard they play like kamara just guarding everyone all over the floor wreath jack and threes jabari walkers energy off the bench they're 15th in defense like that's that's pretty that's pretty good like for a team that's this young and not good my nice thing would have been shade and sharp i'm just very pro how shade and sharp has played this season and um Just good, like, aside from a a week or so ago, he had, like, three or four high turnover games in a row. I think he's been solid making decisions with the ball. Obviously, he can shoot. They're running more pick-and-rolls for him. I like Shaden Sharp. Okay, my turn. Crossing off the Blazers. I'm picking the Atlanta Hawks. My nice thing to say about the Hawks is they have achieved clarity, and the clarity they have achieved is that their team is not good. This has not worked. The 2021 conference finals run is a long time and one mega trade ago. Uh, The Hawks are nine and 13. They are fifth in offense, which is fine. 27th in defense. And I just hate watching them. I hate watching them. They're minus 26, I think, for the season with Murray and Young on the floor together with an offensive rating that would be about average. And if this is what they are, and I just like it's okay. Trey Young pick and rolls, okay. Dejounte Murray pick and rolls. We can't guard anybody. Clint Capello just runs up and down the floor, getting his just running, just running, getting rebounds. DeAndre Hunter, like I don't really know what you do. Like what do you do? Good defensive player, like eh? Do you ever pass? Do you ever rebound? Like I don't really know what you do. You look, you look like a like a real awesome NBA wing. What do you do? Sadiq Bay. J- Jalen Johnson was the second best player on their team before he got injured. That's really the nice thing you can say is they've got something in that dude. I think he was their second best player. He might have been. You could ar- you could argue KP the way Trey Young was shooting when Jalen Johnson got hurt that he might have been the best player on the team. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd I I go
0: third best player. That that was my positive thing is that the and this is straining the nice thing a little bit that his absence is proving how important he is to the team because of the fact that they've been so brutally bad without him thus far.
1: They've won three playoff games since the um, 2021 run. I thought Quinn Snyder would just sort of juice this up a little bit more. It's the same. It's just the same thing. Like, De'Jounte Murray gets the ball. Trey Young just stands around. Like, it doesn't, It and obviously they can't guard anybody and Trey's the bottom 10 defender in the whole league. And, I just feel like the team is stuck in the mud. It's demoralizing that they can't defend and that no one really gets to do anything with the ball on offense. And if they get to the trade deadline and this is what they are, I don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to look different after the trade deadline and maybe in a big way. Someone yesterday at the game, you know, I've talked on the pod about Oklahoma City and Oklahoma City making like a mid-sized trade, not the huge trade that people want them to make for a superstar, but just like give me one more guy and someone last night pitched what about DeAndre Hunter like for some draft equity to the thunder like where he's your 6th or 7th guy. I was like i don't i don't hate that like that's the i didn't mention that name when i was going through my thunder candidates of the PJ Washingtons and Keldon Johnsons and this and that i don't hate it but i have nothing actually nice to say about the hawks other than jalen johnson i i just i really just hate watching this team i was completely wrong about them they're not good and i'm fed up yeah Cook tim Tip. Montem- Cacaw. Tim,
0: Tim Bontemps is going to be winning that dinner from you, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't even I,
1: have a good cacaw in me, just a cacaw.
0: DeAndre, I mean, I don't think Hunter makes sense for Oklahoma City, because you look at that contract, it's... So it's you know, long and big. Yeah, I mean, starting at $20 million this season, escalating each year up through $25 million in 2026-27, that's the kind of contract that if you add as Oklahoma City, it forces you to shed one of your better players down the line or to... All right, okay. A, you know what else is
1: escalating, Kevin Pelton? My frustration with watching the Atlanta Hawks play basketball, <laughs> despite Quinn Snyder's red glasses. Okay, third pick in the <laughs> team's draft. Your turn. Excuse my French.
0: All right, let's go with, even though they are on, what is it, a 17-game losing streak, the San Antonio Spurs.
1: God, I'm glad you picked them. Because yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see what, what nice things you have to say about them other than they're lucky the Detroit Pistons exist.
0: You've mentioned a lot of people have highlighted the numbers with Trey Jones and Victor Wembanyama on the court together, how much better they are. They're they're positive on the season. But if you want to get really small sample size... Let's do it. You take those two guys, add in Devin Vassell, 272 possessions they've played together this season outside of garbage time, according to Cleaning the Glass. They are plus 26 points per 100 possessions in that span. So secretly a juggernaut. If they actually play, I mean, Kelton Johnson is in this conversation as well, but they're three best players together. Now, the fact that they have so rarely played their three best players together is maybe not a positive thing to say about the Spurs, unless you want to say that this is all strategic and they know what they have in Trey Jones, and they're just trying to ensure that they get another lottery pick, that they pull off the Indiana Fever-style double of having the number one pick in back-to-back years.
1: Who did the fever take with those picks?
0: Uh, They just landed the the number one pick in the lottery over the weekend, but uh, adding potentially Caitlin Clark to if she comes out to Aaliyah Boston, which would be a, a fearsome duo.
1: I mean, you know, this was often said about LeBron in Cleveland and to a lesser extent Anthony Davis in New Orleans. When you win the lottery and draft a talent that immense, one of the curses of that is you immediately become so good that you never pick that high again and you can't get that guy a running mate that's his age if you don't have one on the team already the spurs have a ready-made solution to that problem which is we're just going to be horrible again this year you have the trey jones Wembenyama thing there, 30 in 241 minutes the point sohan thing didn't go well i don't mind them exploring the possibility i was aghast kp aghast that when they pulled the plug on it, the adjustment was not start Trey Jones. It was start Malachi Branham, continue to just not play Trey Jones very much, and now we're going to make Wembenyama a center, which actually I'm fine with. I'm excited about the possibilities of that, and he's been everything he's cracked up to be. I can only conclude that just as Grant Williams did last year to Joe Missoula, that Trey Jones stole Greg Popovich's lunch (laughs) out of the fridge, and this is just punishment for this because none of it makes any sense other than the way you're making it. Makes sense.
0: Well then there's also been the point jetty Osman experiment, which is that uh, next? I, is that I next? did not see coming.
1: Point Bassi? Oh, Bassi just got injured. Apologies to Charles yes, Bassi. Yeah.
0: Point point is that, that not a good thing.
1: Point Mamu? <laughs>
0: <laughs> point Julian Cimpetty? I don't know. Let's let's go through the whole roster. See see if any of these guys can be point guards, besides the guy who is actually a point guard.
1: your team call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com sign up today claim based on total games carried on sports networks sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package for the ones who get it done granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer Call or click granger.com or just stop by. All right, so you took the Spurs. I'm going to take the Raptors. It's time. It's time, Kevin. 9 and 14. 9 and 13? What are they? They're 9 and something bad. 9 and 14. 20th in offense, 18th in defense. The only good thing to say about them is that Scotty Barnes is is going to be a, a guy. 20 and 9, six assists, 47% shooting, 38% on 3. Obviously, he can guard lots of different positions when he's engaged. I've liked that they've used him on the pick and roll both as ball handler and screener more often in like the last week or so. I like that as sort of a potential ten pole for their offense, which is ten pole list. It's just sort of an aimless morass of like here you take it, you take it, you take it. Um their next, you know, they just lost to Charlotte. I think they play against tonight. I can't remember against who. It might, it's another, it might be Charlotte again, actually. Um, and then it, it gets a little tough after that. We're, we're, we're a couple years into this now. My guess is internally they've reached a point where it's like, all right, this doesn't work. It's like this isn't working. And we have Siakam as a free agent, Ananobi as a free agent. Gary Trent Jr. has just had an awful shooting season as a potential free agent. If this, if they don't have a major bounce back where it's like they, and they're in the play-in race, they're 11th. So it's not like they're, the yay, you know, you're always in it. Um, You know, they, they know that they've lost a lot of free agents for nothing in return, like Van Vliet most recently. If this is just what they are, I think I will say today, December 13th. This is the year they actually make a sell trade, if if this is what they are in six weeks. If not, then different story. But last year, we all remember the just endless chatter, 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 and they end up trading for Jakob Pertl, who, by the way, has been kind of meh. Like, he's just kind of fine. He does what he does. His scoring is down. His minutes are down. He can't shoot free throws. He's just kind of like meh. Um I think I think something will happen, and if you had to guess, like which of those guys is most likely to be traded between Siakam and Ananobi, I think it's Siakam. But my nice thing would be Scotty Barnes.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say that he is a guy. Uh, clear, clearly, readers of the uh, early All Stars that I did earlier this week know that I I think he is a guy, and it's in a situation that is, you know, not maybe as poor poor poorly conducive to his strengths as what Victor Wembanyama when Manyama has been playing in most of this season. But if you're imagining, hey, what's the perfect scenario for Scotty Barnes offensively? I think this does work pretty well for him defensively to highlight his strengths. You'd put a lot of shooting around him as much as possible. And the Raptors have no shooting and all sorts of other ball handlers. And yet he's still thriving in the context of that. So I think that's very exciting long-term because I thought we were going to talk about him separately. My, My nice thing to say about the Raptors is... They have made the second largest improvement in terms of their assist rate of any team since 1997-98. The only team that's ahead of them, the 2017-18 Toronto Raptors, when they remade their offense with uh, young assistant coach Nick Nurse getting a lot of the credit for that, that makeover that they made under head coach Dwayne Casey that year, and they have three guys averaging almost five assists per game between Barnes, Pascal Siakam, and Dennis Schroeder. And uh, there's only one other team that's basically in that ballpark, that being Sacramento. So it's not always the best thing to have more assists. Uh, you know, Being able to create your own shot, it does tend to be a strength, but that's, that's a thing they've done well and have done much better this season.
1: Maybe they can hang a banner for that next to the Bon Jovi concert banner at the Scotiabank, whatever it's called, center. By the way, as we're talking about banners... I would like to defend the Lakers hanging an in-season tournament banner. What do you think of the Lakers h- 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 hanging a banner for the IST?
0: I mean, it's interesting that it ended up being the Lakers who won it and made this decision because, you know, if the Pacers had won it as a team that had never won an NBA championship, just endless mocking of that decision i'm sure which i think is wrong i i think this i agree that it shouldn't be celebrated to the same degree as nba you know winning the actual championship winning the finals but you know if we're gonna take this seriously and the lakers clearly did then i think it is something worth highlighting and i remain disappointed that the uh i don't know how other teams have handled this but the seattle storm do not have a wnba commissioners cup uh, banner in their arena they were the first team to to win that uh that competition after previously winning four championships and i'm also annoyed that at climate pledge arena they only have one banner like the lakers are apparently going to do for the the in-season tournament they only have one banner listing all of their wnba championships no, as you opposed gotta, to separate ones
1: you got to blow out the championships the championships deserve each one deserves its own its own banner um I just would like to give a big fat raspberry to all the people who are making fun of the Lakers for spraying champagne and, and having a banner like, look, we it's, it's sports and they won the thing. This isn't like the Timberwolves celebrating that they want to play in game, which by the way, I had no real problems with either. Considering the sad sack history of that franchise, they won and it's cool. It's fun to win. They cared about winning. And I think they have struck the perfect balance with, first of all, I also enjoyed the fact that this banner required, like, nine different sources say tweets from various newsbreakers about a freaking banner. Can we just, like, like, release the banner? Like, we don't need this, like, it's it's not that big of a deal. Um, Sources say it's going to say IST. Um, Perfect to have one banner, smaller and different, presumably, than the championship banners. One for the whole IST, and you just add years if you ever win it again. That's nice. That's like, here's this JV thing that we won. Nice thing. Uh, all right, it's my pick. We're getting to the dregs here. Really getting to the dregs. I don't want to pick any of these teams, Kevin. I might just punt my pick to you. <laughs> I am going to pick. You know who I'm going to pick? I'm going to pick the Memphis Grizzlies, who are 6-16, six and 16, 28th in offense, 11th in defense. Hat tip to 11th in defense with this mash unit forcing tons of turnovers. They don't give up a lot of corner threes. They've like kind of cobbled a good defense. The West is so good that they're still like five games out of the play-in with Morant on the verge coming back. Five and six on the road, one and ten at home is weird. I just want to be like shout-out Desmond Bain for just grinding away. Like 25 and 5, pretty efficient, actually very efficient shooting. And just, it's sometimes it takes 18 seconds of cutting and screening and dribbling for him to get like even a contested open jump shot given the lack of scoring punch around him. And it's not just that morant has been out, it's like Smart, Clark, Adams, Kennard. Tillman they're just like out of guys like they're just playing like they're starting Derek Rose Bismack Biamo and David Roddy they're just like out of guys and they've like kind of hung in a little bit I basketball reference still gives them a zero percent chance to make the play in like that's how far behind they are with Morant coming back I think it would be a lot of fun if he came back and they won like 10 out of 12 and some and they got a little momentum but just you know it's a it's a rough watch right now, but I just want to say to Desmond Bain, and now Jaron Jackson juniors kind of got hot lately too. He's up to 21 a game. Defense hasn't been the same level this year. I just want to say, like, we see you, Desmond Bain. Appreciate the labor. Good luck going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, my good thing was I think we're going to look back and say that this stretch was positive for his development as he continues to go from, you know, I was looking at his basketball reference page and reminded that is a fourth-year senior at TCU. He averaged 16.6 points per game. Like, this was someone who always projected to the NBA as nothing more than a role player, like a really good role player, but nothing more than a role player. And now, you know, he's averaging over 20 a game. He, you know, if the team's record was better, would have a legitimate all star case. Uh, he's pushed his usage rate to 30% this season without John Morant and without all those other guys that you mentioned. And I forgot it, Adams. Yeah. If you look at the effective field goal percentage on shots with more than two seconds of touch time, which our buddy Seth Partnow has used to kind of distinguish between self-created shots and shots that are created for you by others, he's 16th in the league in effective field goal percentage on those shots among guys with at least 100 attempts. So he's up there with a lot of star players in that regard. So that's an exciting development and something that will help them even when John Moran is back.
1: Deepest cut maybe in the history of this podcast? I like kind of like kind of like what Vince Williams Jr. is bringing to the table more than I like what Zaire Williams is bringing to the table. That is a draft pick that has not worked out yet. Shout out Memphis is grinding away. Also, like you know the the feed I get on my little league pass toy online sometimes you like it stays. I get to see like what's happening in the arena during commercials. There's just some wild stuff going on <laughs> in the Grizzlies arena during the commercials. I think this one that went viral that I was watching in real time because I just had it on in the background was before Thanksgiving. When they had Grizz, the bear mascot, come out to the Undertaker's entrance music dressed as the Undertaker. And I did he kill a turkey? Like, not a real turkey, but like the turkey was, was either, you know, buried or killed. It was just like wild stuff is going on in, in Memphis. Okay. Kevin, you have your choice of, I don't want you to get too excited. Detroit, Chicago, Utah, Charlotte, and Washington.
0: I think I got to go Chicago at this point. Yeah, you mentioned the record without Zach Levine recently that they've played much better, and a big reason for that, Kobe White might be happening, averaging over twenty-two points per game over the last dozen games here. It's granted, it's almost entirely about unsustainable three-point shooting. He's getting over fifty percent beyond the arc in this stretch, but. You know, that high volume three-point shooting is a nice contrast playing next to, or a compliment playing next to DeMar DeRozan, and they've got him on a really nice three-year, $36 million contract that pays him more like a reserve than a starter. He's 23 years old. I think this is one where, you know, the Bulls' history of getting mileage out of their own draft picks rather than the Orlando Magic getting mileage out of their draft picks has been a rough one. Sorry, that was, that was not a nice thing to say. No, uh, that was
1: mean. That was, that was a mean thing to say, which is, honestly, you can be mean. It's fine. You're a and very sometime, nice person.
0: Sometimes the Utah Jazz getting mileage out of the Bulls draft picks. But this looks like one that they might finally get some mileage out of.
1: For those who think I only say not nice things about the Bulls, you can find the 10 Things column last year where I wrote how the stats may not show it. This is last season, not this season. Stats may not show it, but Kobe White's becoming a much better all-around player. And that has borne fruit this year when he's been given the reins a little bit on offense. He's playing awesome. You could see it come in last year, where his decision making was better, his defense was better, his poise was better, and now it's bearing fruit. Pat Williams has kind of woken up in the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, like I don't, I don't really. I, they're not going anywhere, but it's kind of been a fun couple of weeks. I want to talk about Levine for a second because they are four and one without Levine, and that's going to be used as a cudgel against Levine to kind of label him a losing player again. I think it's important to note that they're four and one without a Zach Levine who was kind of half checked out of the season. It wasn't like peak Zach Levine was happening, um, whatever you think of peak Zach Levine. I do, you know, I saw Woj say on TV last week that there really isn't a market for Zach Levine right now. And now it's going to be December 15th in two days. So there's some time-related constraint on that. But you know, I, I wrote last week that I think the Lakers, who are going to be linked to Levine forever and ever because of clutch and because of, You know, their offense being, I think, their weaker half as a team. I I think the Lakers are kind of in like, we kind of want to see what we got right now. Like, we just won the IST. We think we're pretty good. And we don't really necessarily want to kneecap our defense and our cap sheet. Now, things could change. Like, I, I wrote in that same piece, I wouldn't close any doors. Like, it's too early to close any doors. And then the Kings were in town last night. And I've said all year the Kings are just sitting there tailor made as a team that, depending on how they play, has a choice of continuity, or like if we really want to be a serious, serious contender, is the herder Murray, Barnes, two, three, four, actually good enough for us to get there? I don't think it's going to be good enough this year. I mean, Herder has been kind of up and down and like mostly down lately. Keegan Murray's hot at, at, lately, he's now up to over 30 percent on threes. I think Keegan Murray's going to be really good. And Harrison Barnes is like a decent player on the downswing of his career. People are going to talk about Levine to them. I, you know, I don't know. People will talk about – I think there's like there, – there are a lot of Toronto-Sacramento synergies um, with some of the Raptors guys. I think one of the things that people underestimate about any big trade like this is like if you just plop a guy with like a 30% usage rate into your well-oiled offensive machine, like that's that could be a month of – like how does this, you're setting yourself up for like a month of like how does this work like how are we gonna do this it's harder than it's harder than just like boom just put this guy in um I don't know we've talked about Levine is your thoughts on Levine's and his market change at all you said back in back a month ago when we talked about this you you said I think the only two teams that made any sense to you were the Lakers and the Raptors
0: yeah and look if you were kind of envisioning in the Chicago front office how this might play out in a way that was going to create a more favorable market for you. Hasn't gone that way at all because Toronto, you know, looks like they probably should be heading the other direction rather than adding a player. And the Lakers, as you mentioned, are feeling really good about their group right now and probably not in a hurry to make a move when those guys become trade eligible on January fifteenth. Now, you know, this is uh, this is one of the rules of thumb on on my uh, podcast I do with my brother about Seattle sports. The the Pelton cast is. You don't know how you're going to feel about things until they actually happen. So if the Lakers have, you know, a below 500 month or two here leading up to the trade deadline, maybe they're going to look at things very differently. But again, to this moment right now, December 13th, what the Bulls needed to have happened to create a market has not happened.
1: Yeah, like I said, I wouldn't close any doors. There's a lot of time between now and January 15th, between now and the trade deadline, a lot of games, a lot of things that can happen. Uh, You took the Bulls, right? That was your pick. Yep. I'm going to take, take the Hornets. I'm going to take the Charlotte Hornets, who, first of all, Eric Collins on play-by-play, just still on his game. That made me do a spit-take the other night when he described somebody as tougher than day-old oatmeal. It's like, that's a new one. I haven't heard that one. Um, 18th in offense, 29th in defense, just horrendous defensively. And horrendous at, like, everything. Fouls, turnovers, rebounds. just horrendous. Their centers, like Mark Williams and Nick Richards, have kind of backslid, I think, a little bit as the season has gone on. I guess my nice things would be three little nice things. I liked the way LaMelo was playing before he got injured. Getting to the rim more. Keeping his dribble alive more. The Steve Nash thing under the rim. Like, all the sort of, like, slow it down and become a real creative point guard I thought was happening. Gordon Hayward has played well the last two weeks after a very slow stretch. And I think Brandon Miller is just good, man. 15 a game, 40% shooting from three, can guard a lot of different positions. I have no idea where this team is going. They obviously have new ownership, and we'll see what happens at the trade deadline and in the offseason in terms of how much they want to revamp the front office and coaching staff or whatever. But I don't know. There, I think there's like I, – I don't I don't know where – like if I, I want to see Mark Williams play better once he gets back from injury. Um there's just little burbling signs of something. I don't know. That's that's the best I can do.
0: I mean, I think the fact that they've been decently competitive, at least not non-competitive without LaMelo Ball, has been encouraging. Uh, last season, they had a minus 7.8 differential in games that he didn't play, went 14 and 32 in those. Thus far, they're minus 6.5 in the six games he's missed uh, since that ankle injury. And, you know, even better, actually, than they played with Lamelo in the lineup, which presumably is not about him. It's about the fact that Terry Rozier has gotten back healthy at that same time. And then, you know, the, the 10 games they played without Miles Bridges at the start of the season uh, is he concluded his suspension following that guilty plea to vi- felony domestic violence charges in City out all of last year. So, you know they they've stayed afloat enough that I'm feeling okay about the the Charlotte over pick, which uh, I was not feeling great about after what,
1: the fact. What, it was like a third low thirties or high twenties? Yeah,
0: I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was it was not a high number. And the other thing I am excited about tentatively, like I'm I'm not going to get too excited just yet. Like part of the reason that their their bench has been so thin is Cody Martin just hasn't played since I think it's like last December at this point, maybe January. And Steve Clifford told reporters last Friday, uh, he's a lot closer. He's been coming through the harder workouts, feeling better. So fingers crossed on that one. Although still no timetable.
1: Also, I've never felt older in my life than when um, they struck their jersey patch deal with Mr. Beast, and Woj wrote a story about it. And I was like, oh, I don't even, I don't even know, I don't know who or what Mr. Beast is. And then I went to a wedding like two weeks later. One of my second cousins got married and one of the groomsmen was like a one of the lead writers for mr beast which was the subject of like much chatter oh my like, this is like a 25 year old wedding like the kids and it was just like people were like that guy he works for mr Beast that guy's that's the one that works for mr beast oh <gasps> he knows mr beast i'm like i don't know who the hell mr beast is but sounds like a he's doing great in life Lamelo, by the way, still only shooting 54% at the rim. Just can't finish at the rim. But I like that he's getting there. Like he's getting there, and someone's gonna trade for Gordon. I think someone's gonna trade for Gordon Hayward. I mean, he makes a it's a 30 million dollar expiring contract. It's not that easy, but it just feels like what What are we doing? What is everybody doing here?
0: Uh, I was going to say, I've never felt older than when Luka Doncic lamented after his performance uh, last night in the win over the Lakers, how old he's getting and how little sleep uh, after having his first child and how everything hurts. So he's 24.
1: I like that he's going all Euro with like the little hairband thing that all the soccer players wear, all the football. I like that he's going instead of headband, I'm going with the, I don't know what the name of that thing is, but I associate it with European soccer players. Perhaps I'm being... I'm look. I, I'm pro Croatia soccer. That's my team. Um, all right. So I have left you with Detroit, Washington, and Utah. And it's quite interesting to me that Utah is is still on is still alive. So good luck with this one, KP.
0: Yeah, I was hoping you were going to take Utah at this stage of the draft because I want to say something nice about it. It's it's a bit of a challenge. Uh, Walker Kessler's room protection has been solid since he's come back. But Simone Fontecchio.
1: I knew it. I knew it was going to be Simone Fontecchio. (laughs) Simone Fontecchio.
0: Am I that predictable? Uh, Saying something nice about an Italian guy. Uh, Taking a nice step forward in his year two. uh, He's shooting 38.5% on threes, 57% on twos. Last year as a rookie, 33% beyond the arc, brutal 43% on twos. And this is something we see a lot with European rookies, even ones who are experienced internationally like he was, that it often takes a year to adjust to the NBA game, particularly in terms of shooting. And this is also a bonus nice thing for Sasha Vizenkov and Vasilya Michish, who uh, are going through some, some of those r- rough adjustments to the NBA, is extremely good EuroLeague players this season in Sacramento and Oklahoma City, respectively.
1: They might as well put on Vasily Micić's jersey. They might as well just erase Micić and put seven point nine million dollar outgoing salary or whatever or whatever it is. Like that dude just never plays, and it's obvious why he's there. Um, it's strangely like kind of for for a team that was a feel good story last year and has a gazillion draft picks from Minnesota and Cleveland and everywhere else. It's strangely kind of just like not awesome to watch the Jazz. And I like Keontae George. I think he's going to be good. His shooting has been inefficient. That's fine. I like the feel. I like the passing. Kessler is allowing only 47% shooting at the rim, as you mentioned. That's really good. markinen has been injured, so that's a big part of, you know, why they're struggled. And we, we knew before the season, you and I talked about this, like the, the trade in Conley, which was a fine, like that's a rebuilding move. Like they just don't have anyone to organize their team. Their last in turnover rate, their transition defense is a disaster it's just something i'm watching only 168 minutes so far this season. Markkanen and Kessler together, they're minus 58 in those 168 minutes. I'm just i'd like to i'd like to see more of that and part of it is like you look at John Collins' numbers, 14 and 9, 48% shooting, 38% from 3. Like sounds good. When i watch the Jazz, i just like what is like what is i don't know I, sometimes I'm like, why, why is he on the team? What is he doing here? It's just like we're back to like why is he on the team with John Collins, even though the numbers are good. I don't quite – and I'll tell you, KP, they're going to be an interesting trade deadline team because with Danny Ainge, you never know. Like all of a sudden they're trying to get Drew Holiday. Like they could go in any number of dra- – they, they, they have shown that they, it, they would be opportunistic if like a veteran with years on his contract comes up that they like and fits with their team and is probably a guard. They might, like, trade stuff to get him, which is not what you would normally do in a rebuild. They also could go the other way. They could do nothing, which is always the most likely um, most likely option and just hope the lottery gods smile upon them. But it's been a weirdly just sort of disjointed season for them.
0: It, it has. I mean – I mentioned those starting lineup stats and, and lineups by starter stats for the Warriors. So when I was going through and putting those together, you know, I looked at each team's, you know, the the five most used starters and how they've done with those guys on the court. The Jazz have played four minutes with their five most used starters on the court together because Keontae George didn't come into the lineup until between basically when Larry Marken and Walker Kessler got hurt. So So would that be, be inter-
1: George Clarkson, Collins, Marken and Kessler? Like what would that yep. even be? Yeah. Yep.
0: And then Clarkson's out of the lineup now, so even if Larry Marken comes out back, which it looks like he might do tonight, we're still not going to get all five of those guys together. So that's that's what I want to see before I really too much evaluation for them but the other thing I want to say you you mentioned what a feel-good story they were last year I think that may have thrown us off the set here a little bit like if they had submitted this season a year ago nobody would have been terribly surprised that was the expectation for them and they overachieved so much that we started to think maybe they're always going to do that but uh not without more playmaking than they have as a unit right now
1: yeah they were you and I did this like they were one of my unders like i I, I think they were 30 35 or 37 and a half coming into the season which was about what they won last year, and I was like, I don't, I don't think they're going to get there. They're 26th in offense and 26th in defense. Like, they're just a bad team, uh, which is fine. Like, they're in in a young rebuilding phase, and like so, But then you're like, you know, Hendricks has just finally started to play. Ugbaji, who was like a big, you know, cherry on top of the Donovan Mitchell trade for them, like he just doesn't play very much, and like he just doesn't have enough time to get in a rhythm. It's just, it's just a strange brew of guys right now and it feels like they do just need to you know like the sextons and horton tuckers of the world it just feels like i don't know who it just feels like they have too many guys and like someone's gonna have to get moved somewhere all right we've reached the point where it's detroit or washington i'm gonna take detroit kevin i'm sorry they've lost 20 games in a row 27th in offense 24th in defense. Here's here's all I got. Is all I got. Jaden Ivey is shooting 70% at the rim.
0: Uh, that's precisely what I had to.
1: <laughs> I, honestly, I, I joked about this the other day. When's, like, are they going to send him to the G League? I don't know what the hell is next going to happen with their rotation. I love Asar Thompson. He is 7 of 48 from 3. I just... I. I just want him to be able to shoot a little bit because he does everything else so, so well. And the other thing I will say is Jalen Duran's injured. I think he's going to be good. He's he's young and he's raw on defense. But when he comes back, I hope we have seen the last of the Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran, really any two of those guys, Bagley and Wiseman, who just is completely lost on both ends of the floor. I don't want to see the two of them anymore. And so I hope what's happened in – in his absence, which is Bogdanovich's comeback, can we just start just for this? It's not like you're winning. So, can you just entertain me by starting Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Asar Thompson, Boyan Bogdanovich until he's traded, and Jalen Duren? Can, like, is that lineup played zero minutes? I didn't even bother looking it up. Can we just start that lineup and have some freaking fun? Because God knows around winning games. It makes sense. It at least makes, like, some conceptual sense. It's like an NBA lineup
0: doesn't seem like anybody's having a lot of fun at this point either in addition to that. Yeah, I mean, the the other element of it is I, maybe there's been stuff behind the scenes that we're not privy to. Jin Ivey publicly could be complaining a lot more about what's going on with his minutes than we have seen. Like he seems to have, from what we can tell, mostly kept his head down and... and he's playing much better the the finishing being the biggest part of it but you know he's in a more appropriate role after he was you know kind of the Keontae George thrown into the deep end of the the pool guy last year as a rookie with Kid Cunningham's injury and yeah I you know I was watching a broadcast a few weeks ago I forget which one and the the opposing broadcasters mentioned yeah Jaden Ivey have you a down second season I was like no no he's actually playing way better they just don't play him so, Monty Williams having a down down season, I would say.
1: Yeah, you know what's having an up season is Monty Williams' bank account. He's doing fine. Um, he's doing fine. Cade Cunningham, 22 points a game, 7.5 assists, 4 rebounds, 42% shooting, 34% on threes, which is trending up, 47% on twos, 4 free throws a game, which is much maligned. People want to see him get there more. You know – He's essentially a second-year player, given last year was a lost season for him, on a team that's just been bereft of shooting um, and really any kind of experience this year. I, Cade's last, like, 20 games of his rookie season were massively encouraging to me. I, I kind of don't know what to make of him anymore, other than I, I'm still, like, I'm not writing him off and just saying this is what he is and it's disappointing. Like, I think he's going to hit another level at some point when they put better talent around him. And I think I think he's could be a really good focal point of an offense. I am reaching the point where I'm like, he might not be like the guy on a, on a good to great team, somebody, which is fine. Like, there are only so many of those guys around the league. Maybe you can build like a greater than the sum of its parts kind of team where everybody kind of shares in being the guy. But I, I'm still – relative to the pessimism i've seen about like zach cram had a great piece for the ringer about how advanced stats just hate cade and they do i'm more bullish than that i wonder where you you know where a lot of your grounding at least initially was advanced stats i I wonder where you are in the on the cade experience
0: yeah it's interesting because a lot of it reminds me of the andrew wiggins discussion from several years ago good call and I feel like I was kind of kind of slow to adjust my expectations of Wiggins because we have seen a lot of players of this ilk, uh, you know, tend to develop even late. I mean, you know, Harrison Barnes would be another guy who for a long period of time, there was this sort of disconnect between his perception and and what the advanced stats were saying about his value. And he did eventually develop into a really nice— both those guys developed into really nice role players. They didn't develop into stars. So it'll be interesting to see. For Cunningham, you mentioned the three-point percentage trending up. That's been the most surprising part because you watch him in Oklahoma State. He was a shot maker. Like, he hit 40% on threes that season, 85% at the line— Uh, was really nails in the mid-range late in games and that just for whatever reason hasn't translated so even in the context of again we've talked about these environments that are really poorly conducive to players skills Detroit is the epitome of that for Cade Cunningham the shot making shouldn't necessarily be I think as affected by that as that has been and that's been kind of the disappointment for me
1: I just want to see him play where there's not 17 defenders in the paint by the time he's like gotten past the three-point line but i am still bullish but i like his feel i like his passing i like his ability to kind of get in the paint and wiggle around and pivot around and keep a live dribble and make floaters over smaller guy i just want to see more all right kevin challenge say something nice about the wizards of washington
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this one is pretty clear. I'm, 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 well, no, maybe it isn't because I think you you might have someone else based on our text change. But uh, to me, it's Bilal Kulabali being ahead of schedule. Is a teenage rookie who, you know, looked. He played a very small role for the. Metropolitan's 92 team that Victor Wembanyama was a part of last year, an important role because they were playing like legitimate games in the French League playoffs all the way through the finals. But, you know, this is someone who's mostly standing in the corner and playing defense in the French League. And that, that tends to translate to a really small role in the NBA. And, you know, not only is he hitting 40% of his threes thus far, which is, is very exciting, we're starting to see kind of some baby steps towards him making more plays with the ball in his hands. His usage rate is still, you know, 30. 13% it's really low but you know the month of December he scored double figures in all four of their games thus far he's putting it on the ground a little bit and I'm just I, I think he's clearly ahead of schedule of what I was expecting
1: um he's on my list I i ahead of schedule is the perfect phrase like he's going to be a playmaker on defense who can guard a ton of positions he's shooting well like I'm, I'm a fan I think that pick is going to work out for them I had him and I had Corey Kispert as my nice things to say about the Wizards, Corey Kispert is a rotation player on a good team, and he has tripled his drives per 100 possessions this year. Now that's from three to nine, just not very many. And he has almost two and a half to his pick and rolls per 100 possessions from again two to five, um, and his points per possession on both of those plays are like top ten, top fifteen, top twenty ish in, in the NBA. So he's making plays against closeouts. Like you can, if you get him, if you if you run him off a screen and then into a handoff which is basically a pick and roll like he's he's doing well leveraging his shooting to create a little bit for others just a little bit the rest of it is just rough man defensively this team is so bad like it it, it might you one of us you one of our stats guys or someone will have to do like i'm sure they're on pace for the worst points allowed per possession in the history of the league because like we're in a a stage now where the best offense and the worst defense are going to be the best and worst ever. They are 30th in defense and they just got nothing. I mean, they can't rebound. They just, it's, it's, it's not great. I I don't know what the answer is, but there is no answer. The answer is that the lottery is in five months.
0: Yeah, watching them zone the uh, the Sixers the other night as the Sixers just kept making threes, riddled them with threes, and it was like, "Well, if you go back, man, then Joel Embiid is just going to destroy us." They, so there, they there wasn't pass, a good option.
1: They got to pass a rule that Embiid's got to play lefty against the Wizards. Like it's just it's just so unfair. It's like it it is the literal manifestation of a man among boys almost. Like it's just just make them play lefty.
0: To your point about the lottery being in five months, that's that's the exciting thing. Is like. They're not doing they're not playing like this well, they're trying to be the tenth seed. They're playing like this, well that was the goal all along. The twenty twenty
1: three, twenty four Wizards. This time we're bad on purpose. Like the <laughs> like Um Is Johnny where is Johnny Davis? Is he I don't even know where is he injured? Is he in the G League? Where is he?
0: He's gotten some minutes, hasn't he? Not he lately. Is, he is currently injured. He has a, a calf injury.
1: Okay. Because when I've seen him play, and look, to be clear, Johnny Davis is in the NBA. He's a lottery pick. He is better at basketball than I will be at anything ever in my life, including napping in the middle of the day, which I'm elite at. He just doesn't look like an NBA player. When he gets on the floor, he just looks completely overwhelmed and lost. And like to have that happen to a lottery pick is just – that's rough. So we've concluded our Wizards segment by <laughs> saying something not nice about the Wizards, who were last on my league pass rankings <laughs> – And our last in the say nice say something nice draft, Kevin Pelton. What do we got coming up from you? You did your All Stars this week, which we were supposed to talk about before the Draymond thing happened. Maybe we'll revisit that in a couple of weeks. Early All Star picks, both conferences, and you followed the rules, like by position, which people apparently don't
0: understand because people kept saying the guys I picked as wild cards were not. I had not picked them for the team. Like no, those those are roster spots. They count.
1: They also People also react to all-star selections as if you have 18 spots per conference. Like, how did this guy not get on? I'm like, okay, so you're the 12. Who are you taking off? Like, that's it. So And what else we got coming? We got a mailbag coming. What else?
0: Uh, not, not on the schedule right now. I think next up uh, will be next week. Bobby, Marks, and I are, are revisiting our monthly rookie rankings, the rankings of the top 10 rookies in the late.
1: Uh, so Chet, Wemby, Hawkes are the top three right now. Is, that, is, that, is, is Lively cracking lively's four like where where do we stand
0: i think i might have had lively over hawkes but uh yeah the those guys are in the conversation detroit's rookies even though they're not playing as much uh right now uh Brendan Pajemski is uh is one of the nice things that's happening with the warriors so yeah yeah that's that's the group
1: the fifth first team all rookie spot assuming those four hold is going to be an interesting an interesting little battle that only diehard fans of like Casey Wallace and Brandon Miller and Asar Thompson really re- and their teams really really care about. But I would I would assume barring injury that Chet Wemby, Hawkes Lively are have locked up four of the five first team all rookie spots. Lively's just that guy. That dude is good, man. That 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 guy is really good.
0: He looks like he's been in the league for five years, even though he is one of the younger rookies.
1: The passes he throws out of the pick and roll in space are, he's throwing them instantaneously on the catch. And with an intellect that suggests he's got the floor mapped in his head before he gets the ball, which is incredibly unusual for a center that age and that experience level. And my favorite thing about him, I wrote about this last week. I hate, and Jared Allen has been the king of this for years, less so this year, when centers catch the ball on the pick and roll, like, when their guy is trapped, so they're rolling to the rim, the help defender comes, and the help defender is like a guard in the restricted area, and they just, by default, kick it out. When you just, like, just just cram on the dude. Derek Lively doesn't, like, he will finish right. He finished over Zion on that exact help rotation. Jalen Williams, wing Jalen Williams. Like, I he, he's like, oh, you're too small. I'm just going to lay the ball up. Forget passing to, like, Derek Jones Jr., who's been fine. And Dante Exum. Holy smokes. Dante Exum. Say something nice about Don- busted lottery pick Dante Exum. Busted no more.
0: Number number one on my personal draft board that year.
1: Was he really? Yeah. It's funny because Dennis Lindsay is now a consultant for the Mavericks and was the GM of the Jazz when they made that pick. And that was like their golden chance in, in the, uh, like a top 5-10 pick in the draft. And all these years later, it didn't work out in Utah. Now, like, they might have to start him. In the Derek Jones Jr. spot, if he's going to make threes at like even close to this level, that lineup of of Doncic Irving, Exum, given his defensive versatility and like just kind of connectorness, plus Grant Williams, lively like that may he's made a case. How did we get to Dante Exum? Wow.
0: I mean, we wanted to be positive, and that was a really exciting development to watch last night.
1: It was all right, Kevin Pelton, uh, the machine. Thank you, sir.
0: Thanks as always.